from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is the Chancellor's Report, featuring Mark Monet, Chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Here's your host, WUWM General Manager, John Hess. I'm WUWM's General Manager, John Hess. Today on the Chancellor's Report, Chancellor Mark Monet is joined by guests Annette Adams, Chief HR Officer, MGIC, and a UWM Executive MBA graduate, Rebecca Kowalski, Vice President, Manpower Manufacturing at Manpower Group, and Ramila Singh, Associate Professor, Organizations and Strategic Management at the Lubar School of Business. On today's show, we'll explore how UWM and employers can generate the great reawakening beyond the great resignation. The number of people quitting their jobs in the past six months is unprecedented. Today, we'll talk about how this great resignation can be turned into the great reawakening for employers. Thank you all for joining me today. It's nice to have you here. Delighted to be here. Great to be here. Thank, Thank you. you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank Mark, you for having us. You bet. Mark, we're going to start with you. How would you describe the employment outlook in our region and the state, and what challenges and opportunities have you seen lately? Well, John, it seems like we're having this word unprecedented in our, a lot of our conversations, uh, but it's certainly true here today, and you nailed it at the opening. I, I have more conversations on a daily basis around this topic than probably any other single item, and, and it really would throw the challenges into three different categories. One is the obvious um, incredible demand, and, and, and frankly, the shortage of employees, uh, which great, gives uh, wonderful staffing opportunities like manpower, great great opportunities, um, but but there is a, a shortage of talent, and we know that um, for a number of different reasons, which we'll talk about today. That leads to the second issue, which is there's a tremendous amount of poaching or rating, a lot of talent that's being um, uh, actually engaged by, by a lot of firms. We see this in the construction in the industry, uh, most blatantly, at least from my experience. Um, there's a lot of this going on, though, in many, many other fields as employees look at, at uh, really what I consider then the third challenge, which is the different wage levels uh, that they're seeing. And um, this, this leads to some of the frustration that we're seeing uh, you know, with, with a lot of uh, areas of the workforce with inflation raising as quickly as it has that all comes together to be kind of a perfect storm. But the opportunities that are presented, I think, are also uh, equally uh, evident. Uh, an opportunity sometimes to, to look at upskilling um, employees who are here today as others have vacated. So what are, what are we doing to uh, actually increase the, the skills of, of those uh, employees, which in turn um, can, can really build a different employment brand, really talk about how valuable it is to work in this organization, how they redevelop and, and, and really want to, to engage and, and make the, the uh, workplace better for all. And then finally, oftentimes there's an advantage in the sense that I can, can tell you in a communications group with which I'm working right now, um, there's huge opportunities to change as we think about being more digital or going into different skill sets opportunities with new talent bring those things forward. So there are absolutely significant challenges, but in that also some silver linings in terms of new ways to think about the future. So Annette, um, you know, you're an HR officer. Are do these sort of mirror some of the challenges that you see? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. I, I think Mark did a great job of of striking a chord with each and every one of the points that he raised there. And I, and I think most prevalent, particularly uh, within my organization, MGIC, which is a long-standing 
mortgage insurance uh, financial services um, company um, and has had a, a deep um, roots within the Milwaukee community. We're seeing that um, within the company as well. Uh, we have a, a lot of very tenured uh, co-workers within MGIC and what we're finding is many of those co-workers have been starting to rethink um, what their expectations are in terms of work, especially over the last couple of years where there's been this heavy pivot to working within a corporate environment to now having to balance what's happening within um, their personal lives, um, really thinking about what's important for them, how they manage through not only getting the work done, but also some of the family commitments, whether those are commitments with young children or all the way through uh, caring for uh, family members, parents even in some regard. So it, it's certainly something that we've never seen um, before and is really testing the boundaries of what organizations have done to uh, really create the right um, environment for their coworkers really and engaging um, and connected experience for them uh, to not only retain the existing workforce, but certainly to attract a new workforce. Um, and what's going to be the difference maker that every uh, organization has to present out in the market in order to attract that talent. And Rebecca, I'm sure with, with your role at Manpower Manufacturing, um, within the Manpower Group, you see this in terms of talent and in terms of, uh, you know, people moving from place, from business to business, and also the, the um, uh, a real higher demand for talent. So talk to me a little bit about that high demand for talent and how you recruit for talent uh, to be able to meet this, this need. Well, certainly um, we see this massive increase in demand in certain jobs. And of course, um, some of these things are things we've seen coming for a long time. So I just want to touch on, on a few of the points that Mark made. We saw these structural shifts in the labor market coming for a while. In fact, three years ago, I think we were talking about this very thing. We were, we were forecasting you know, this massive shortage in terms of individuals that would have the, the talent that was required to do the work, the more modernized types of work. And so in some senses, COVID um, obscured the picture a little bit because we had to readjust. We had, um, you know, the this new classification of workers that was tied almost entirely to a COVID-19 economy in a way. And um, that really, kind of made things, uh, uh, we maybe lost our focus on the long game, let's just say. And the long game was really this. We have a lot of retirements. We have not enough talent coming into the workforce. And we, we are behind in terms of upskilling that talent for a more digital economy. And so knowing that was coming um, and knowing that we had to do this pivot, uh, some of these things that we're seeing downstream now are certainly not a surprise, but the severity of which they've hit is, you know, a massive, massive impact. When you look at the labor force participation rate closing out at 61.9% at, at the end of the year last year, this is these are some of the lowest numbers we have ever seen. We have about 11 million job openings, right? So we are, and we continue to add, 
Uh, the labor forecast, if you follow the Manpower Employment Outlook survey, you'll see that in the U.S. we reported a net employment outlook of 41% for Q1. That's the eighth strongest globally, and they're the most optimistic Q1 expectations since the survey began in 1962. So it's a massive surge in demand. And what everyone is trying to do is unlock what's the secret formula, right? And I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but part of that secret formula is understanding what workers want now and what they will never want again, right? In terms of a shift in, in the way they prioritize family, in the way they prioritize health, the way we look at wages and what is the value of work and the way that we look at how... Um, employers and employees need to be partners in laying out the career path and figuring out that upskilling pathway together. Uh, those are some fundamental shifts and those employers who can figure out how to tell that story and treat that talent almost like a consumer, right? Making HR people like a net marketers to that talent, not only the talent that they're seeking to attract, but the talent that they're seeking to keep, those will be the winners. So, Ramilla, I'm going to turn to you and say, how do you train the managers of the future to meet that demand? Um, first of all, the points that Mark laid out and Annette reinforced with uh, Rebecca's analysis, they are spot on. One of the things that uh, Rebecca mentioned just now is uh, in terms of treating your employees as consumers. And I think this is the fundamental reawakening, reshifting of the mindset that needs to be done. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll mention a little bit later in terms of what is the role of HR professionals, what is the role of educators like us, uh, who, who are a huge um, contributor to this reshifting of the mindset, so to say. But really, when you talk about unlocking the secret formula in terms of moving people around um, to preventing people really from, from leaving to staying, uh, it really comes down to one thing that has been the constant in a way uh, amongst all this turbulence over all these years is, is the culture. It's always been the organizational culture. Everything else flows from that. Uh, this is the research that Mark has done uh, earlier um, in his work. And this is the research that I did with my colleagues here at UWM and elsewhere. Uh, culture is the great bind, um, the great glue that holds people together, that holds the HR systems together. Anything that you talk about in terms of flexibility, whether in SPAY, whether it is in terms of uh, better work-life balance, uh, becoming more in tune with your employees and treating them as partners, as you were talking about, uh, it really stems from the organizational culture. And I think I think this is where the employees are becoming very smart in terms of not just going by the bylines, not just going by the uh, glossy um, uh, things that are put out there in terms of we value your employees, but show us how do you truly value us, show us, uh, walk the talk. Uh, this is how it is manifesting when people, you know, have uh, uh, people who have worked for years are, uh, decide, are deciding that this is time to leave because uh, this, despite the people first culture, despite all the things that are being put out there, uh, they don't feel valued. Uh, they are tired of working in a toxic workplace. Uh, they don't get the advancement opportunities uh, for which they have been trained, for which they have uh, the skills uh, to uh, to really be in the running for the promotion. Uh, they don't have other kind of uh, facilities that have been used to uh, attract new employees. So those things rankle people. The inequities that have been 
um, you know, baked in uh, are no longer no longer in the in the background. This is something that is manifesting and creating this big push. Um, and I'll just um, uh, close by saying that some of these factors that we're talking about in terms of you know, trying to figure out what are the uh, ways that employers and employees uh, can take advantage of these shifts that we are seeing um, is really coming back to focusing on the basics. Uh, safe work uh, conditions, th those things have always been at the forefront of employees' minds. Uh, and what has happened recently is safety has taken a new um, a new uh, is manifesting on a new platform, which is psychological safety. It's not just physical safety, but psychological safety. That's a big one, apart from, you know, just a workplace culture and forefront uh, with the workplace culture, apart from the things that Annette, you had mentioned in terms of a focus on work-life balance. It's really to what extent um, the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, efforts that are being now broadcast by a lot of employers uh, are truly backed by their efforts. So it's no longer good to say that we value people, we value people of all backgrounds, uh, show us how you truly value us. Uh, so there's a lot of work for educators, for employers, for HR professionals uh, to try to make inroads in creating this kind of equitable, inclusive, um, uh, employee, uh, employed, I guess, employee-centric, uh, workplaces. John, could I could I um, add to what Ramila um, sure. said, and just from a, a slightly deeper um, perspective on the HR uh, side of that? I, I think very key to all of this is also uh, HR professionals taking taking a really deep look at their own practices and really shifting uh, or continuing this shift from more traditional uh, HR. Um, ways of operating, which I would say have tended to be um, perhaps more on the execution and more tactical and more on the just what's got to get done in order to kind of get through the basic requirements. And I'm not suggesting that that's the case, you know, always, but it has certainly, you know, if nothing else, HR has been thrust into the spotlight, uh, and I look at that as a, I tend to be an optimist, so I look at that as a really positive in that HR has had an opportunity now to really showcase the way in which we support the business and the need for HR practitioners to have a greater sense of what's happening within their organization. And it's not just about being the order taker and getting the stuff done and moving on to the next thing that's on the list. But it's really shifting uh, to more of that, helping the business really meet the needs and, and working to, to solve the problems from a very different lens. You know, what does it take to create that uh, experience? What does it take to create a diverse benefit package or tailor your compensation programs? Um, make sure that that recognition is at the forefront uh, of what shows up within that uh, employee value proposition. So. That I would say is just, you know, it's a journey that we're working on right now within MGIC. And I think a lot of uh, organizations are working through that where you know, it, it's, it's a must. I mean, that is no longer um, a, a nice to have. It's really a requirement for HR practitioners to step out of where, what we've been handed through this pandemic and shift from really having to, to do everything we needed to, to Ramilla's point around safety and security and, and everything that came along with that 
and now pivot into, hey, how do we meet the needs of a very different expectation that people have? How do we think creatively? How do we deepen the relationship with the business uh, in order to come up with solutioning? And that sometimes takes us into places that is unfamiliar, quite frankly. Uh, and that that's really the new state of, I'd say, really the new expectation for HR. So, Mark, as as a as a CEO of an organization, you've got the expectations of your board members. You've got the expectations of what I would say maybe the legislators, but your shareholders. That you've got to balance those expectations with your customers, which are your students, and the people that fulfill those things for your customers, which are your your teachers, your administrators, the people on campus. How do you balance all of those uh, basically demands? from all those different parties to meet, uh, you know, kind of where we are right now and, and, uh, and, and not maybe, I don't know, um, make one party or another party uh, leave you in some way because they're, they're dissatisfied. <laughs> well, that's, that's always been the trick of this job. And I think uh, most of us in, in most any leadership position, you want to keep all the different constituents equally unhappy. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and, and that's a joke, uh, of course, but there's some truth to it. If, if uh, one group is particularly happy, you know, the other group is not going to be. And, and so that's, that's always the watch out. So it's, uh, it is balanced, John. You use that word, and that's, that's vitally important. Um, if, if I, I can assure you, if uh, there, are, there are groups in, uh, you know, not just, I'm not talking about on any political divide. I'm just saying in general, if folks in the legislature are, are particularly upset or particularly pleased, uh, then there's the counterbalance that can happen on a campus. Similarly, uh, students, faculty, parents, uh, taxpayers, there's just a lot of different constituents. So that's a, a constant um, uh, issue to work on. But to me, the, the, the key thrust and, and really the arrow that I always aim for is what's in the best long-term interest of our students. I really focus on that. And then that helps a lot of other things fall into place. Today, um, as a, a research university that focuses with an access mission that serves uh, over 7,500 students of color, 24,000 students overall, no other campus has uh, nearly those numbers. And I can compare this to even our, our counterpart Madison, which is twice as large, uh, that has fewer students of color, fewer LGBT, fewer military veterans, fewer non-traditional, first generation. I can go down every particular dimension. It's incredibly important for us to focus on student success and all that that means. And so we have helped close the achievement gap over the years. We've got a long way to go, but that's where the moonshot for equity comes in to really close, completely eliminate that gap by 2030, working with best practices, borrowing, stealing, begging from, from where we go. The other thing that I look at um, is really uh, long-term stability of the institution. And of course, that's built around student success, but the long-term long -term stability in terms of the, the faculty that are required and to Romola's point, helping really create the types of cultures and subcultures where we can in a very, very challenging environment that we have in higher education today uh, because of enrollment, political issues, budgetary challenges, and so forth. Uh, but we just take those challenges head on and we're very bullish about our future. We've achieved great things over the last decade and there's more uh, things ahead that, that I'm very excited about despite the headwinds that face virtually all of our organizations. There are really great opportunities too. 
So Rebecca, we've mentioned about this. So you're dealing with sort of a one generation and another generation, uh, maybe an older generation uh, who have been in the workplace for a while, have certain expectations and a younger generation who have been in the workplace for a while and have a whole different set of expectations. So when you when when someone's looking to hire someone, they have a, a, a need for employees. Um, what are they, and it's a certain type of employee that maybe needs to operate well in a digital environment. What are they looking for? How do they balance those needs? You know, you've got some people who are sort of learning skills, others who maybe have skills, but they may not be quite the right skills that are needed for this particular time. How do you balance those? It's a good question, right? Uh, and I don't want to oversimplify, but one thing I want to make sure that we keep in mind on this topic is that there are more things that people have in common than not in terms of things that talent tells us that they're looking for. When we look at our, our own data, what does everyone have in common in terms of what they want and what they're attracted to, which is really the code that employers are trying to crack, right? So understanding that people all want balance, they all want flexibility, they all want, um, to think about wage as really not a, not having a minimum or a maximum, but instead being what is required to do the job, that there is actual value um, that's recognized for the value that they're producing. And uh, Ramala mentioned it very well. We, we would say uh, maybe a little differently, we'd talk about the end of pledges over progress, right? So the demonstrated commitment to values and sustainability. Now in this, there's this um, almost sense of a mass customization in, in the sense that um, there is a shared set of needs and then there are things that are highly individual. And just like companies perform a lot of customer market research, they need to really understand the market of their talent and really think about um, how each of their audiences is the same and how they're different so that they can describe what they're offering as being tailored, but built from a common base based on what we understand that workers want today. As it relates to specific skills, I mean, we have a very simple philosophy from a manpower perspective, which is we really believe in learnability. We believe that's really the key skill that everybody needs to demonstrate, regardless of their age or their background or their educational level, everyone can learn. And when we think about uh, things like sustainability and renewable resource, what we sometimes uh, leave behind is this idea that talent is fundamentally the most renewable resource and that people can plug in where they're at and take a step forward. The responsibility of an organization um, amongst many others, but as it relates to upskilling is to be very clear with individuals what the skills of the future will require and that everyone is going to have to take a step forward. I have to take a step forward. Everyone on my team has to take a step forward. Our CEO has to take a step forward because the skills that got us here are not the ones um, in entirety that will take us forward. There are new ones that we all have to learn. Um, as we go from digitization to digital adoption, for instance, all of us have new skills to learn. And so being incredibly clear about that and then pairing that with you know, clarity around the kind of support and um, learning that will be available to help people take that journey. And I think that's really um, critical, right? Because this is something that you know, individuals tell us all of the time. It's not just about uh, what it takes to get me in the door. It's what 
it takes to get me to ride along with you. And that has everything to do with us being partners in that building of my skill set so that I can offer value to the organization and they can offer value back to me. Well, Annette, that's going to turn to you in terms of how do you build, how do you build a, um, the opportunities, the training opportunities, the career path, path for advancement within companies so that the employee can see that and understand that this is a partnership, that the company will stick with you as long as you stick with the company and, and, you, uh, and you fulfill the duties that, you're, that are required of you. But how do you build that path? How do you build that, that ladder so that everybody can see it and everybody's in agreement with it? Yeah, um, we're actually working through this right now um, within the organization and acknowledging to exactly what uh, Rebecca described that as employers, we have to look at the work from a very different lens and and not um, define it in the same fashion. And I think that requires also some maybe bold thinking about the work itself and and, and now more so than ever it is really kind of reimagining the work. Uh, so if you take some you know, certain roles within an organization that have maybe for long periods of time been uh, focused on the same type of work requirements and descriptions and, and what the expectations are, how can we refine that role? How can we re-engineer the role? How can we reimagine the role? How can we make it more um, challenging or more enticing or different? How do we maybe take it apart in some fashion? So that we're creating different opportunities or we're leaning into certain strengths and skill sets that we want to really harvest within either a certain individual or a certain part of the organization or create that internal mobility that I think we're all striving for uh, right now. Because it is very much about kind of rethinking your existing workforce and how the work gets done. That is going to be a really critical need and an unlock for so many organizations. And, and I really appreciate how Rebecca described it's, 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 we all have innate skills and, and um, behaviors and things that we bring to, um, to our work. It, it's trying to figure out what are some of the, neat, the unique things that we need to try to draw out in some fashion. And, and I think, unfortunately, employers haven't perhaps invested as much time and energy of reimagining what that possibility can look like people are looking for experiences. They're, you know, pay is not the only part of the value proposition. They're looking for experiences. Upward mo mobility is not always as prevalent depending upon the organization that, that you're in right now. So how do we create experiences so that people have different things to get excited about and, and see different uh, opportunities across organizations? And there's a lot of similarities if you truly look at the different types of work that has to get done there's a lot of transferable skills and similarities from one part of the organization to another, but it, it requires intentionality to be able to make that happen. So just in the limited time we have left, I'm just going to go around the horn with you all and say in the next year, what is the most important ingredient that you think that the workforce here in Milwaukee needs to have? And what do you think is the most important ingredient that, the, uh, that businesses need to acquire to move forward? So I'm going to start with uh, I'm going to start with uh, Romila. I'm going to start with you. A couple of things. One is uh, do work very closely with any kind of an educational institution, whether it is K through 12, 
whether it is uh, K-16 through and beyond, like us, higher education, uh, undergraduate, bachelor's uh, degree granting, PhD granting institutions, for the simple reason that most of the folks associated with that uh, environment, with that industry, are very fine, very finely tuned into the needs of the uh, current generation as well as the generations that are coming into the workforce and their needs in order for the businesses to really um, understand what are the types of shared needs that Rebecca mentioned um, to create that kind of partnership around the employee experience. And I talked about customizing the employee experience from the perspective of employees. These are your future employees, maybe five, six years, maybe 10 years from now. But this is where the close partnership with educational institutions are really key to really uh, being more forward-looking, forward-thinking, more positive and optimistic than they have been in the past. Great. Rebecca, how about you? So I think the number one skill organizations are going to need to get very, very good at is their workforce strategy, workforce planning. So with all of the new technologies coming in, with the tremendous amount of scarcity that's out there, getting very um, clever and nimble about how to get that um, translated into a workforce strategy with very clear workforce planning so that you can start developing these career pathways. Right. And so how are you going to calibrate that mix of build, buy, borrow, bridging talent? Because there just isn't sufficient supply in the marketplace to close the gap. You've got to be almost thinking about a closed loop system inside of your organization. Um, what are you going to do? And as part of that planning and strategy, of course, is the attraction and retention. Um, in terms of the community um, in Milwaukee, you know, we have um, so many things that we have got to focus on, but one of the number one things is focusing on undertapped talent and figuring out how we can provide an equitable way forward for everyone to participate and benefit from prosperity in the region. Awesome. Annette, what about you? Oh my goodness, how do I top those wonderful and can Quint agree more? I think it also requires really um, taking on some uh, different approaches in terms of looking at talent, you know, whether that's you know, the early talent practices, partnering um, with UW-Milwaukee and, and other institutions to look at the talent journey much sooner than what I think we have traditionally done. We've, at MJC, we've recently introduced an internship experience program and really looking to grow that and continuously having conversations with institutions to understand what are some other possibilities at the, the high school level, at the, the college level that we can get involved in earlier. And, and whether that results in bringing um, individuals into the workforce, the most important part is to get connected, get established, open up the dialogue, have the conversations, you know, be present um, through your networks, through the community efforts, there's there's so many of us that are are all have the same challenges, and it's really going to be the power of these kinds of conversations that bring us together and help draw greater visibility to it, but also learning from each other. And so use those learnings, and I, I think we have to do that both as HR practitioners, as or as businesses, as universities. How do we learn from each other? How do we tap into the power that we can all bring to the table to work as a collective? Uh, towards achieving the results that we're all yearning for. So that to me is something that is going to require us to really, again, heighten 
our attention in, in bringing this all together. And Mark, you've got the last word on this. Thanks, John. You know, I can't add anything substantively to these wonderful answers, uh, but I'm going to take a little different tack on it and just kind of throw a few simple ideas out. First, um, I want to just mention the problem we're all up against. Uh, you've all heard the joke about, um, uh, you know, 60 is the new 50 or you know, so forth. The world today has actually turned that upside down. And I think what you're hearing and what we're up against is, in fact, how do we thwart the reality that 45 or 55 may in fact have become the new 65. In other words, people are talking about retirement much earlier. They're leaving the workforce. Sometimes it's for a new job, but there's a lot of people checking out. So in a nutshell, how do we increase the stickiness? How do we really have that retention? And I think in that spirit, um, you know, we've really got to think about how we care, how we respect, and then to the point of all of these different answers you've just heard, how do we engage realistically for development? in terms of the career planning, in terms of really creating that type of organization where people see their future and have much more flexibility. We get outside of the boxes that we continue to, to find ourselves in. And I love in that your, your um, example, we have to look at our own roles and our own mindsets. And I certainly know that when we think about diversity, um, that's something that's we've held ourselves back so many times in organizations. I think we've got to free ourselves uh, from the shackles, and it's hard to do that. And that's where I think bringing in outsiders and welcoming those ideas are, are good. Final comment is that um, unbeknownst to really, um, uh, certainly Rebecca and, and Annette, um, uh, but Romola teed it up, I've done research in your organizations um, the types of things that we've learned at Manpower about agile staffing strategies with a doctoral dissertation work with 400 uh, employees and, and 400 uh, uh, key key uh, parts of, of the relationship that Manpower has, leading practices at Manpower. Annette, I did a study with a, a gentleman named uh, Anand Badapali years ago. It was published in Journal of Engineering and Technology Management. Eight different companies we looked at, and MGIC won the contest in terms of really being able to create the culture that was high-performing teams, high-performing project management, a number of different things. So what we have here today, uh, and I hope everybody appreciates the incredible uh, uh, depth of knowledge uh, from our guests, and, and Romola, as one of our star professors, your knowledge and, and, and wisdom prevailed through. So I'm just so grateful for your, your sharing of your knowledge and wisdom, everybody. And I too, I want to I want to extend my gratitude to you all for being here today. Uh, Chancellor Mark Monet has been joined by guest Annette Adams, the Chief HR Officer for MGIC, and a UWM Executive MBA graduate. Rebecca Kowalski, the VP of Manpower Manufacturing at Manpower Group, and Ramila Singh, the Associate Professor of Organizations and Strategic Management at the Lubar School of Business. I want to thank you all for joining me for this very what seemed like a very quick and uh, a conversation as it always is. Um, I'm John Hesset, General Manager at WUWM. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Chancellor's Report featuring Mark Monet, Chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If you'd like more information, go to uwm.edu slash chancellor.